if you are considering purchasing a business, whether it's a small business, medium-sized business, or large business, and you listen to this podcast, you've tuned into the right one. We have got Katrina Holzbosch from Harris Tate Lawyer, who specializes in commercial law, and we have broken down how to purchase a business to five easy steps to make sure you don't get caught short or you don't purchase a business and then find out there's a whole bunch of trouble waiting for you that you didn't even consider. Welcome to the New Zealand Small Business and Entrepreneur Festival podcast, delivered to you by DHL. Super stoked to have Harris Tate Lawyers on board to help us talk through this potential problem that you might have when purchasing a business. Katrina, thank you for your time. Enjoy. Kia ora, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Greg. Lovely to have you on. I am calling this podcast from the centre of the North Island, Rotorua. Whereabouts in the country are you? I'm in Sunny Bay Plenty, which I can say for once. (laughs) (laughs) At the moment, yeah, it's the middle of the winter, towards the end of the winter. We're recording this in August, 8th of August, and we're looking forward to a nice spring in coming months. Well, let's crack straight into this one. I want to learn a little bit about you. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What was your first ever job? Like the first thing you ever oh. got any money for? Way back then, it, it could be, yeah, it could be yeah. a paper route or whatever it was. Funny you should say that, because it was, it was a paper run. And <laughs> I think I had to get up before five o'clock, three mornings a week. And yep. I, I think I got about $8 for that privilege for the week. <laughs> <laughs> I saw something yeah. on the news this morning, actually, saying that um, the the rate that the those paper routes are getting paid at the moment is almost as child labour because they're getting paid mm-hmm. so poorly for the amount yeah. of job work that they have to do. Yeah. Uh, but it's it is a good learning experience. I did it for a little bit. It wasn't really for me. Um, then my yeah, first okay. job was sweeping a panel beaters. I think I got fired too because I was <laughs> not very good at it. Um, <laughs> what about your? How did you get? How did you become a lawyer? Was it um, we, was it always something that you wanted to do, or what was the origin no. story behind there? No, I think I was like a lot of teenagers and had no idea what to do. And um, I grew up in Fokitani, and none of my friends were particularly ambitious back then. Not many of them went to university. Um, so it was about two weeks before bursary exams, um, which was university entrance for those young people listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just clicked one day, I'm good at English, I'll, I'll just be a lawyer. And so I crammed like mad for two weeks and managed to get an A bursary and, and then the rest is history. So what? So when you first went into law, because a lot of people do a lot, just do law degree, like my, my partner, she did a law degree, she did a BSOC sci at um, mm. Waikato University and yeah. didn't end up going into law, she went into policy and in, in the central government. What Did you always want to go into sort of the, the com- commercial space or was there a particular sort of no. part of the law yeah I um I really had no idea to be honest and um I went to law but I actually thought about being a police officer as well and mm-hmm. um it was probably my third year of law school when I I met Shay now my husband and his dad was an ex-policeman and he mm-hmm. told me terrible stories about the police force and you know <laughs> the only time you meet nice people is when you have to deliver bad news to them and yeah mm. so I continued down the law path. So when you first start I might dig into a bit of a, um, the law life to start with so when you first start 
for those people out there who aspire to be a lawyer who might be listening right now so when you yeah. first start becoming a, a like a proper paid lawyer or whatever it's called um, when you first start yeah. what, what sort of things do you do and then how, how do you start progressing into so now you're a director of a company called harris tate lawyers yeah. and we'll talk about that a little bit later but um yeah where does it start how do you get to where you are um well you, yeah getting your first job obviously is pretty important so um you know, do, making sure you actually do attend law classes and don't just go <laughs> for the uni life. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, when you start, you're, you're paid next to nothing. You're, you know, I was paid less than, than the receptionist and, and it takes a while to um, work your way up. But um, you do get quite decent pay rises if you if you work hard. Mm-hmm. Put, in, put in the long hours when you're younger and... Yeah, get out there and network and meet people and bring in clients in the firm and then you make yourself valuable and that's when you get offered partnership. Uh-huh. That's yes. right. So you're now with Harris Tate Lawyers. Can you explain a little bit about Harris Tate? I know um, just just before you do, you guys are awesome supporters of the giant 2W Gravity and Drew, which I've spoken about in um, podcast before, which is an event that I help deliver in Rotorua, so it's the, one of the world's largest Enduro mountain bike series. But um, yeah, give us a bit of an overview of Harris Tate Lawyers. Uh, so Harris Tate, there's uh, four directors and two of us are specialised in the more commercial property area. And then we have two litigation directors and they do a lot of relationship property law, um, child custody, civil litigation. So we're pretty much a full service firm um, mm-hmm. being regional. And the only thing we don't do is criminal law. All right, cool. Yeah. So for, for those out there looking at buying a house or buying commercial property and you need some law advice, um, I'll make sure that there's a link to Harris Tate below so you can click on that and reach out to Katrina. And if not Katrina's um, one of the team there will definitely be able to look after you. Um, today we're going to focus our chat on purchasing a business. And, and I suppose we've broken it down, or let's say you've broken it down um, into five key points. <laughs> That we need to consider before purchasing a business so i'm going to go through the points quickly and then i've got questions for each of those points so the five points that we've sort of holistically looked at is the people point one clients and customers point two financials point three um contracts point four and the legal structure for purchase so i might just um, start with number one which is why is it important to consider the people well your people are your business you know, everyone knows that. Um, the staff members are the driving force behind the business and, and how and why you operate. Um, so when you're looking at buying a business, you really need to have a look at who the staff are um, and what the different employees um, are responsible for within the different parts of the business. Mm-hmm. Are there any key employees who, if, if they left, would have huge impact, a negative impact on the business? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, if you have a look at what is the current owner's position with, within the business? Can the business survive without the current owner? It's mm, a good point. Before you buy a business, can you reach out to those employees? Is it, is it possible and go, hey, look, this is this, if this scenario mm. happens where I take over the business and um, ex-owner leaves, um, would you, are you going to stick around? Like, what do I need to do to keep you, that sort of stuff? Or can you yeah. do things so, like that? So, no, it, it, Depends. Generally not. So um, there might be a grace period during the due diligence where you can negotiate that with the vendor to have access mm-hmm. to the employees. 
but but generally a, a vendor will be quite sensitive to introducing you to the employees unless they know that it's the sale is going to proceed. Gotcha. Doesn't, so you yeah. you sort of just got to take a a wild guess, or you just got to take the word of the owner that that yeah. that yeah. they're. Yeah. Take take the word of the owner. Ask lots of questions. Yeah, look for um, you know, ask for disclosure of employment records and just oh, yeah. see see if there's been any any you know unhappy employees and what that means. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So if there's been any, yeah, for sure. So we've done podcasts just in, uh, in the past with another law company actually from down down south, yeah. and we focus on employment law. And if you've done. The process is correct where you've had the performance managed staff would is that the sort of process that you'd be able to see that they've this x person's gone through a performance process where they've improved or or they're on their last legs or their last yes. warning sort of stuff yeah so all those employment records will be part of um they should have any performance procedures gone through with any specific employees so what if let's i'm going to make up some fake business called the the um hot chicken hot chicken, fried chicken and chips place in, um, in Rotorua. And I was going to buy it. Looks like an awesome business. The staff have been there for a couple of years. John, he's the owner, and he said they're all going to stay. And I buy the business and they all take off. Is there anything I, is there anything I can do for that? Or is that just like that? It's just the way it goes. There's just the way it goes. And there, there always is a turnover once a new boss, you know, purchases a business. Um, you can't get along with everyone. So unfortunately, that's, um, yeah, you just have to wear that. Sometimes you, if there is a key employee that you've recognised, you can make it a condition of the purchase that mm-hmm. you sign up that key employee to a new employment mm-hmm. agreement. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose uh, um, looking at from, the, like, if I was going to be a boss of a chicken, that chicken joint in, in Rotorua, um, I'd make sure that, you know, hey, look, we're going to take this to a new level. This is going to be super cool. This is why I think you guys should all stay. So you've got to have, the, mm. I suppose, create the culture there straight away. And I suppose that first yeah. introduction to the staff is going to be the, your key point to be able to try and keep them all there. Otherwise, they might, um, no pun intended, fly the coop. <laughs> <laughs> Dad joke. Um, so point. <laughs> What's that? I'm hungry now, talking about yeah, chicken and chips. Fried chicken, uh, one of my favourite foods. Point two, clients and customers. So what do you need to look at for with the client and the customers? Yeah, look, well, these are the people who spend money on, you know, and put money into your business. So you have to assess the current climate of clients and customers belonging to the business. Um, I would look at whether the business um, relies on one or two major clients and customers because um, obviously that's that's a big risk to, to the business if mm-hmm. one of those major customers leaves. I mean, for all you know, the, the vendor might have got a heads up that a major customer was leaving, and that's why they're quickly selling mm-hmm. a business. That's so, a yeah, so investigating who the customers are and if there are only a few major clients or customers, m- making sure there's contracts in place with those clients or customers. Good call, yeah. So then if you what if you found that out post buying the business that let's say you you're a um let's say you're a carpenter and you've got 10 staff and you had this contract with central government for the new 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 homes and then you're gonna lose them and then you're like, okay, I'm gonna get out before this one collapses. Um and you're mm-hmm. buying the business based on goodwill and the contracts that they've you think that they've got 
and it doesn't go to plan, what happens then? Yeah, Sorry. so that, that happens, and it depends whether there's a warranty which relates to that in the mm -hmm. agreement itself. So yeah. you can put in um, any warranties that you like, and I've seen some agreements for some purchase that will have 10 pages of warranties. Um, you know, for a small to medium business, the, you can get away with probably one page of warranties, and that would be one of the warranties that you include, that the vendor is not aware of any mm -hmm. major client customer leaving yep. yeah and so then if they do then they've they've breached that warranty that they've agreed to and then yep. the, the sale right. could you could back out so no you wouldn't back out um probably by the time you find out that this major client customer has left you've already bought the business paid the money but mm -hmm. you'd be able to have a claim for compensation through the court okay gotcha so what about the businesses that are like dairies or fish and chip shops when you don't actually have any clients where it's just just general people coming in and out just is that i suppose you all you can really do is just show them your books and say like this is what we get in a, on a general friday saturday sunday monday um yeah. and that's it's really based on environmental it's it's, it's impulse sort of bias it's i don't have clients yeah with something like that i'd look at um whether there's any um, developments happening go uh, yeah. go talk to council and for you know you know you might be buying a, a dairy but there might be a supermarket opening across the road mm. so yeah. just I guess that's one thing that you could do to try and protect your client customer base mm. number one rule of everything if it's if, the, if it's too good to be true then quite often it's 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 not that good at all so do your due diligence do some research check out the um long-term plan or the plans from the council because the, you're right you could be an, something else popping up like yeah. I know you you said you're based in Tauranga the rapid growth in Papamara in that area now I think mm. I, was, I was talking to an agent not so long ago and they said they're going to be building 10,000 houses and developing a new sort of style Bayfair sort of somewhere um, towards yeah. Makatu sort of way so if you had a mm. four square you're going to buy that and then all of a sudden in three yeah. years time there's going to be this massive bay fair with with three supermarkets six bars and another you know <laughs> absolutely and even where the road goes you know i think was it the old um in pocono there was a was it a bakery there and you used to always stop i remember every time i went up to auckland you'd stop and then mm. they they bypassed it mm. yep no way he was one i used to work for coca-cola um a few years ago quite a few years ago now 2007 um, and Narawahia was one of my um, part of my general route, and I said, there used to be. I haven't been to Narawahia for a long, long time because you had to go through Narawahia to get to Auckland um, yeah. from Hamilton anyway. And there was probably about six or seven bakeries along that stretch. I don't know if there still is or not, but I can imagine that the traffic going through that road has dramatically decreased. Um, I know yeah. it's added a lot of value to the destination as a, as a whole because it's not so busy going through there. But um, I would say cars yeah. stopping. Um, impulsively to get a pie or a sandwich or a donut or a can of coke or something. Um, hopefully it was a can of coke, not a can of V. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> it would have reduced. Sorry, sorry, I know I'm butting into this conversation and it is a good one with Katrina, but I just wanted to remind you that we do have the actual physical New Zealand Small Business and Entrepreneur Festival in the Vodafone Event Centre on the 8th and 9th of November 2022. Up in Auckland, New Zealand, Aotearoa, in the North Island. We would love to see you there. The easiest way to find it is go into Google and type in NZSME Festival 
hit search and you'll definitely find us. Could be ranked very highly in that search phrase. Thank you again. Appreciate your time. Tune in, listen in, and hopefully you get some more value from Katrina and the Harris Tate Lawyer team. So point four, uh, sorry, point three, we're going to have a chat about financials. So if, if I'm looking at a business and what are we looking for in the financials? Are there things yeah. that we should sort of like stick away from if, if there's any any red, like super red flags? Um, well, probably the first point is lawyers can't give tax advice. So you should always get your accountant to have a look at financials for you. Mm -hmm. um, but generally, you should look at least the last three years of financials um, and have a look at stuff like tax returns, cash flow statements, um, balance sheets. You just want to make sure everything stacks up. Like the vendor might be saying, oh, this business makes us much money. Um, but just have an actual look and get your accountant to check it and make sure it does. I've heard of stories in the past that um, businesses on the on paper, they look really good, but then it's a family-run business and then they, mm. they haven't really been paying like their kids or something like that to be working there. It's just that this, this part of living with this family, you need to be yeah. working in the shop for this amount of time. Um, so check out the labour costs as well because they might not be as mm -hmm. accurate as they may may need to be. Absolutely. Um, are there any other sort of – so if you're looking at the financials, you send it to your um, – get your accountant to run it over or your bookkeeper or someone who's who's specialised in there. What about when you're selling a business um, and you're the actual – the person – you've got your fish and chip shop or your dairy or your – or your law firm, or probably not law firm, because yep. um, your book should be pretty good if you're a law firm, um, but just a small business, it could be a retail store, or whatever it might be, how far back do we need to go in regards to financials, and what, what would you suggest to a, someone who's now maybe looking at selling their business, what should they do? Yeah, if you're selling your business, definitely um, make sure your books are all in order, and um, like I said, three to five years would be um, reasonable, um, to have a look back through, so it is. It's making sure there's there's nothing on there that you know. I know. I know. Oh, actually, I shouldn't say this because it's podcast, but you know, people are very creative with financials. Mm -hmm. So a good accountant will be able to look through and and just see what's creative and what's um, you know realistic. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so contracts. Um, so we're looking at a business. Let's just keep in the retail space. There's all sorts of different things that someone may have locked themselves into, um, like um, FBOS equipment, tools. Mm. Um, you might have bought new deep fryers. There might be new ovens. There might be new lighting. Whatever there might might be. Stock as well is another one. So what do we need to check in regards to the contracts? And um, if we if someone's contracted to something, let's say I'm buying your business and you've contracted to something, what do um, can I get out of that because I'm not you? And I don't want your your stuff. Yeah, not necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. It depends on the terms of the contract. So mm -hmm. the agreement for sale and purchase will often have a term saying that the purchaser agrees to take over the the lease for the FPOS machine or yeah. the photocopier. Um, and obviously, if the the business is run from a premises, there will be a lease in place, mm -hmm. and yep. the contract will be conditional on the the landlord consenting to an assignment of the lease oh, yep. um, to the purchaser. And um, so that's that's a contract that you need to review is the lease and any variations to it. If the business premises is in a great location and you, you know, need to stay there, 
um, then you need to look at the lease and make sure that there's sufficient terms to renew. Mm. Yeah, you wouldn't want that. Jump into a SOP, start to go really well, then two, uh, 18 months down the trip, you're like, sorry, mate, your lease is gone. It's in, And oh, you didn't absolutely. check it. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, yeah. what are we going to do? Yeah. Um, what about things, I, I suppose, from from the, the person selling the business, if you've, you've decided to sell the business, sometimes it's not always for reasons why you want to sell a business. It's, it's you have, you know, some health issue or family issue or something you got to leave, whatever that reason might be. And the the business owners lock themselves into eighteen months with your FBOS machine or your tills and things mm -hmm. like that. So that's what I suppose looking at from the from the owner's point of view, they they can't contract out of those. They'd have to pay it out. Yeah. Um, so then I suppose the only option you could give them is a yeah, well, if you don't want it, that's fine, but you can have to pay to get out of that contract. Yeah, absolutely. It should be um, if there's contracts like the FBOS lease, um, the vendor they should talk to their lawyer and give them a copy of all the contracts that the business has and make sure there's that clause in the agreement that the purchaser agrees to take it over. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Are there any, do you, do you see that there's any business types out there that have quite um, unique sort of contracts that you, that would be worth chatting about now? Like we, we've talked about just general like uh, retail type stores, like point of sale sort of stuff, but anything, anything else that, that are quite unique? Um, I, I think every business is unique. So obviously if you're in the education sector, there's the Ministry of Education licences that need to be um, yeah, transferred. So I, I think each business is unique and that's why having a really good relationship with your professional advisors um, mm -hmm. is important so that when you do go to buy or sell, they, they know what contracts are important to the business. Mm -hmm. So point five, we're going to be talking about the legal structure of purchase. So what are the traps here? So what's the worst case scenario um, in, in this sort of in this situation? Getting the structure wrong. I mean, it's it's talk to your advisors first thing, um, your accountant and your lawyer, and just make sure you've got the right structure for your for your business. Um, most of the time that will be a limited liability company. Um, which is the most com common entity in New Zealand for business ownership. Um, but <clears throat> there's, there's a lot of little traps that people aren't aware. So yeah. if you've got a business that's quite risky and you have direct directors and officers liability insurance, well, unless your company has a constitution adopted, that insurance that you pay premiums each year for is actually invalid and will be of no effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so talking to your lawyer at the start and, and making sure the structure is correct with a constitution, if you have that type of insurance, and if there's more than one shareholder, then definitely a shareholder's agreement is a must. Gotcha. So if, so if I'm selling a business and I have shareholders or directors mm -hmm. and they own X, Y, Z amounts, so 25, 25, 25, and I'm 25, X hundred eight. Yep. Um, um, <laughs> so what? If, so we're selling the business. I'm assuming that we all the directors have to agree. Has, is there any a time when a director or a shareholder disagrees with the sale, and then then are you sort of stuck there a little bit? Like, what's the problem there? Yeah. Look, and and that's why it's important to have a shareholders agreement in place. So oh, yeah, oh. if you don't have a shareholders agreement in place, then it mm -hmm. comes down to what. Um, is 
the CARES provides, which is 75% for a major transaction. So if, if little old Craig with 25%, if the other three shareholders agree to sell, um, yeah, you'd, you'd be stuck with that decision. Cool. So you've got to roll with it. So that's just the majority yeah. sort of. So the sip, so it's seventy five percent. So I suppose that's if you're a director, of, and yeah. unless you have a shareholders agreement, and you can change it in the shareholders agreement to okay, say yeah, eighty um, percent. In which case, Craig's approval would be required. Ah, gotcha. So 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 just to rewind. So the shareholder agreement is that all the people who've got any shares in your business agree to these terms, and these yeah. terms are that. Let's say there's six of you, and five of the six of you have got to agree to the sale before it's going to be able to go ahead. If one of you don't, then tough luck. It's it's going ahead because the majority is five, and we've all agreed on that. Yeah, the shareholders agreement is is exactly that. It's just an agreement between the shareholders on how they will operate the company, what their contributions will be, exit mm. provisions, so that if um, Craig's you know not not contributing, then how the other Three shareholders can get Craig out. Sorry to pick on you, Craig. <laughs> uh, it's probably probably accurate. I wouldn't be a very good a contributor. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the, look, the shareholders agreement is probably, in my opinion, one of the most important documents in place when you're buying a business, if you've got more than one shareholder. Cool. So we, we've gone through our five points. So there's, so there's a... Um, We've talked about the people, we've talked about clients and customers, we've made sure that you check your financials, check all your contracts, and make sure that the legal structure, um, this, you're not going to fall into any traps there. So there's two other things, two other questions that are going to ask that are outside of the five points. What red flags should we be looking for when considering purchasing a business? And let, mm. let, let's just say it's like, like before, earlier on you said, it's mm. good to have three to five years of history of sales. What if it's a business that's, Sort of only just open the doors you're really interested in it and you just walk and and for some reason like i said before it could be um health or it could be just some circumstantial sort of situation that the person needs to get out um and you you, you see the opportunity you go okay this cafe is rad i really want to buy it. it's doing really well already um what are some of the things we should look at um well the first thing is i always tell my clients to trust their gut you know, that's, that's, and it can go either way. But if, if you see the potential with the business, then if it's, if it's a new business, there's no financials, then the purchase price should reflect that. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's just checking that value is appropriate with the, your accountant. Mm -hmm. um, other red flags, um, disgruntled employees, that's always a, a red flag. Um Check the, the business credit rating. You know, have they been able to pay their suppliers on time? That's a red flag. Can, can you do that? You can check someone else's credit rating. Yep, there's, there's, yep, there's companies that do that, websites that you can go on and, and do. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Um, yeah, what are the seller's plans once once they sell the business? So they, they may say that they're selling for health reasons, but... Are they just going to open up another cafe down the road and compete with you? Um, so that you can put a non-compete provisions into into the contract, mm -hmm. which I highly recommend. Um, but yeah, trust trust your instincts. I might just go into that. So that's like the restraint of trade sort of thing. So yes, um, yeah. So is that like um, 
what's the furthest away from that you're located? Let's say let's put a geo target geo dot on your let's just call it the cafe. Yeah. And then I'm selling my cafe. I've created this real cool thing. Pretty happy with it. Um, and then John comes in. He wants to buy it off me. I'm like, well, okay, sweet as I'll sell it to you. And then I'll just go make another one, um, create another one just down the road. But then can you say like from two meter radius, two kilometer radius around, you're not allowed to open another one? Or is, it, is there a yep. maximum yes. sort of you can do? Well, it, it depends on the business, but um, for a cafe, I would say it, it would be reasonable to say 50 kilometres, oh, yeah. so pretty much, you know, within the town, or within mm -hmm. the city. Um, you know, if, you, if you're in Auckland, though, you might just limit the restraint to your suburb, mm. um, so it just depends on the business and area. I've got some business clients where the restraint was for the whole of the New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So I suppose it depends it, on what it is. Like if you're if you're the importer of hops for all the beer, um, all the craft brewery beer breweries yeah. around the country, and then and then you buy that business of them, and then he just starts doing it anyway from over here. So if that happens, then can you, what what's ha what happens then? You know, Craig set up a cafe, but he's got it under his wife's name. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he's again, unfortunately, it would be going to court and, uh, and having a claim for compensation for loss of profits. And yeah, yeah. so it's it's always better just to make sure that the contracts have in place really good, strong, clear terms from the start. Just try and avoid any court process later. Mm. So you, you're saying that if, if there's any doubt in your mind about some of the some of the things mm -hmm. that are in the business. Just contract it, sort of thing. Are you saying so, or put it in there to say, um, just yes. so so it mitigates any potential risk that you might have? Yeah, do two things: due diligence. So ask lots of questions, talk to other people in the industry, um, <clears throat> try and do as much due diligence as possible. So mm -hmm. that it's amazing what comes out when you just talk to people. Mm -hmm. um, and the second one is yeah, talk to your lawyer about including as many warranties and other terms in your contract to protect you. So last question. What's what's like the worst possible case scenario for purchasing a business? What can go wrong? Oh, I, this is a tough question. I mean, all of the above. You know, your your the employees not signing on with you, um, major clients and customers leaving, the vendor competing with you down the road. So that's why having a really good strong contract in place and doing your due diligence, spending time on that. Two, two weeks at least, if not months, make sure you put in the hard work before you sign the agreement for sale and purchase or, or during your due diligence period. So what I'm hearing you saying is don't rush. Yeah. Don't rush <laughs> into it. Definitely engage with professionals to help to help you through the process. Don't just get an uh, old mate who's owned a couple of businesses in the past. Make yeah. sure that you've created a contract. Do you need to, Do you need to have a lawyer to create a contract? With those types of contracts, do they need to be a professional person, or yes. can you can, can yeah, yeah. They do. look? I'm sure I'm sure there's people who have you know just written terms on a on a piece of paper and and it's all worked out fine. But I always say <clears throat> legal documents is like insurance. You know, mm -hmm. you spend you spend money up front and and put it in place. Hopefully, you never need to see it. But if you mm -hmm. do, you will need to. You want to be able to rely on it. Cool. I might leave the last thing for you to say. What advice would you give anyone out there right now who's considering purchasing a business? 
what advice would you give someone out there right now who's considering purchasing a business for the first, especially for the first time they've ever done it as well? First time purchases, obviously take your time, um, seek professional advice. I know it costs money to see a lawyer and accountant, but it can save you hundreds of thousands later. And talk to people in the industry, um, see what's happening, see what changes there are out there. Um, there's lots of businesses that, um, you know, have a sunset date. I feel that it would be a good idea to take the emotion out of it as well because you might get your heart set on something yeah. and go, oh, this is going to be so awesome, so mm -hmm. awesome, but you actually don't really know how hard it's going to be sometimes as well. So there's no such thing as a side hustle cafe because it's hard money. Mm -hmm. You'll be working mega hours, so be golden if your eyes really wide open. That the business owners might only be putting down a certain amount of hours that they're getting paid for, but they're doing a, a ton of mahi behind the scenes or coming in super early, cleaning up, doing work when you don't think they are. So just yeah, I'd, like you mm -hmm. said, do some research, have a chat to other cafe owners or other owners of the similar type of businesses to say, hey, what's what's it actually like? What's a day in the life like of? Yeah of a, um, a person who does events or a person who has a barber shop or whatever the heck it is. Um, yeah, yeah, like I said, research, research, research. And it's similar to what a lot of our guests say in all different um, um, podcasts. And it's like, if do your research, get some mm -hmm. data, get some insights and have a really clear understanding of your product and service. And same for this, do your research. So it sounds like just going too fast. Yeah. <laughs> That's good advice. <laughs> hey, Katrina, this has been a super cool one. We're going to be doing a few more podcasts. Um, but if you do need to get in touch with anyone about purchasing a business, I've got, I'll have Harris take details below so you can reach out to them. Or if you've got a lawyer of your own already, reach out to them as well. But um, if you've got any questions, I'm sure the crew at Harris Tate will be, be happy to help. If not, they might already have some blogs on their website or some suggestions to go and check out some information. Yep, happy to help anyone. So thank you, Craig. Awesome. Thanks so much. You've been a legend. Looking forward to the next one. If I don't see you before the podcast, I'll definitely see you on the mountain bike trails. Thank you. <laughs> you have a good day. Awesome. Thanks, Craig. Thanks. See you. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. We really do hope that it added value. So if you're going to buy a business this week, Maybe don't do it this week, do it in a few weeks and do a little bit more research, engage with some professionals that could be able to help. Make sure you check those contracts, check your customers, check the finances, check any contracts that might be out there that you're unaware of. Have a look at the long-term plan for the council. Do your due diligence before you jump right in because we don't want you to make any mistakes and we hope that this podcast has helped you out a little bit. Thank you, Katrina, for your time. Like always, we've got another podcast coming up on Friday. We're looking forward to that one with the founder or co-founder, sorry, Ben from Almighty. And we're talking to him about how he created a beverage company from scratch, from home. But until then, have a great week. We really do appreciate you tuning in.